Hello and welcome to a special mini-series from Parliamentary Conversations in the Commonwealth, a podcast from the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association, better known as the CPA. I'm Tom Davis and on this mini-series we are marking World Parliament Day celebrated every year on the 30th of June. The idea behind World Parliament Day, which was established by the UN in 2018, is to recognise and review the relationship between Parliament and democracy. Now, that relationship, that intrinsic bond between a functioning and effective Parliament and a strong democracy, is a complex one. So what we want to do on this podcast series is to peel back the layers of what Parliaments do and consider quite a simple concept that lies at the heart of parliamentary democracy, and that is representation. A parliament should, in its most simple form, consist of a group of people chosen by the wider population to speak and make decisions on their behalf. They are, in theory, representative institutions. This idea is enshrined in the Collins Dictionary, which defines a member of parliament as a person who has been elected by the people in a particular area to represent them in a country's parliament. As you can see, what we're coming back to here is one verb which lies at the heart of this definition, to represent. A representative, again using the dictionary, is someone who speaks or does something on behalf of another person or group of people. So when we strip it back, this makes the job of a politician sound somewhat simple, collect the views of the people you represent and use them to dictate your actions and decisions in Parliament. The reality, though, is that the views of the wider public are not often defined, ordered or presented to politicians in a simple way. Their challenge is to constantly juggle the competing interests of different groups of people, all of whom want to talk to them, talk at them or even shout at them and obviously have a right to do so in a representative democracy. The pressure to make progress on or to be vocal about an issue comes from all corners. It comes from constituents. It comes from your political party, from the media, from the opposition, from beyond your own national borders and even perhaps from your own friends and family. To successfully fulfil your responsibility to represent, you have to keep up a constant balancing act as a politician. So, in this miniseries for World Parliament Day, We are travelling around the Commonwealth to dig deeper on this idea of representation by asking politicians exactly how they do this balancing. How do they prioritise? How do they manage to juggle the balls that the world of politics continually throws at them? We'll be delving into their processes for both listening to and filtering the daily demands on their attention by choosing what's important or what's urgent, by deciding how their time is best spent and what that means for how they operate on a day-to-day basis. In our first episode of the series, we spoke to Right Honourable Nelly Muti, Speaker of the Parliament of Zambia, and you can find that episode in our podcast feed. Now, for the second episode, we are moving to India to speak to Sri Anurag Sharma, member of the Lok Sabha of India, representing Jhansi constituency in Uttar Pradesh. Sri Sharma, a BJP party member, businessman and philanthropist, was elected to the Lok Sabha in 2019. In the interview, we discussed the challenges of prioritisation when you represent as many as 2.8 million constituents 
and the impact that growing digitalization has had on how his constituents communicate with him. Honourable Sharma began by explaining why he decided to enter politics after a long career in business. The question by being, why did I get into politics, is quite an interesting one in the sense that uh, I run some of the largest trusts of Bundelkhand. Bundelkhand is the region where Jhansi is situated. It's in the heart of the uh, heart of India. And uh, it's a very large area. And my trusts were doing some extremely good work. But we found that we were not sufficiently able to deliver what we wanted to in terms of helping people with their lives. Now, Bundelkhand is considered an economically weaker area in India, mainly because we are very, very rocky. And uh, we are in a rain shadow area, so to speak. We barely get any rainfall, which is really known as the monsoon across the world. And uh, the monsoon being slightly weak in my areas, we are prone to drought. Also, Bundelkhand, for certain reasons, historically, has not had industry. So we are primarily dependent on agriculture. Over 70% of the local population works in agriculture. Although agriculture probably doesn't account for more than 30% of the GDP, so to speak, of Bundelkhand and in, uh, in India itself. So what we found was that we were not able to deliver as much to our trust as much as we wanted. And I thought it was time for me to come into politics and try and see if I can bring in certain policy changes to help the entire region, not just Jhansi as my constituency, because I belong to Jhansi, I've been born there, I live there, all my trusts are there, from my factories are based there. But also because I'm very emotionally attached to my city, my town, and my people. So I thought it's time for me to come into politics so I could help change policy. Policy which will help make the nation and make the parliament aware of the issues which are in Bundelkhand. And uh, I'm very happy to say that, yeah, we're finding ourselves on a much better platform now. Things have changed quite dramatically in the last two years. Brilliant. So in today's podcast, we're talking about this question of how do politicians prioritise then? So for you, was it clear even before you entered parliament that agriculture, as you mentioned, and water were going to be the issues that you were going to focus on as soon as you entered? Or did that develop over time? Were there any surprise issues that as you became into politics, you realised needed your time or attention? See, water was one prime issue in Bundelkhand. We still don't have enough water. Uh, We have two major rivers, but unfortunately, the river runoff, that means the water which goes into another river and then henceforth into the sea, is over 75-80%. So we were not retaining enough water. Drinking water was another major issue. You've seen photographs and you must have uh, noticed it. The drinking water was a major issue across Bundelkhand where women trekked miles to get uh, drinking water. So if drinking water is an issue, you know agricultural water is an issue. So what I wanted to focus was two things. One is to focus on water, how to retain water, whatever drop we get. Second is to focus on education and primarily women education. If we can get our girls educated, we can get the women educated in this area. And we can take them, start working 
it would add tremendously to the economic growth of Bundelkhand. So I'm extremely happy to say this, that uh, due to the current government, the Prime Minister's Modi's government, we've been able to flag these issues with the government and the government has been more than responsive. So primarily most people in and around my constituency know me as somebody who will always look at water and education. So they always flag those issues to me. So when you uh, entered Parliament in 2019 and you identified, uh, as you say, water, agriculture and, and girls' education as your priorities, in your day-to-day operations as a Member of Parliament, what does that look like when you're when you're focusing on that? Does that mean setting up lots of meetings with government ministers? Does that mean gauging the opinions of your constituents on that issues? How do you go about making those your focus and starting to trigger um, a change in uh, in those policy areas? Okay, so uh, I actually serve on two uh, main parliamentary constituencies and one standing committee. So my main uh, cons- uh, parliamentary committees are health and uh, ministry uh, of uh, environment, forest and climate change, which also, luckily for me, also has Department of Science and Technology, Biotechnology, and all these kind of ministries. So I can influence policy there, and I also sit on the rural development. In India, a lot of this work comes under rural development. And of course, we have what is called Jal Shakti, the Water Resource Ministry. I am extremely... uh, aware of the work they do. I attend their meetings. I tend to go and meet them a lot of very often. And plus all these projects which have come to my constituencies are in a way I can get them supervised when I sit on meetings. So I chair those meetings and we tend to do these every three months. So every three months I get a complete ground report on what is happening. And since these uh, especially tap drinking water is spread across my constituencies. Whenever I'm visiting a village or going to one portion of my constituency, my constituency is extremely long. It's nearly 300 odd kilometers long. So I tend to go to all these sites, meet the people, the contractors who are doing it, ask them what their problems are, try and work with the government, work with the local civil administration and make sure that uh, they're able to execute their work as quickly as possible. The other thing we are trying to create is providing water is not going to be just enough. You have to actually get the community involved. You have to get women involved. So what we've done is we're creating a platform of women water warriors. It's called... uh, So these women are in every village. We teach them how to conserve water, how to make sure it's kept clean, And they are the ones who will run these overhead tanks which are put up in their villages. So because they are the ones who suffer the most. So getting the women involved in the village will help us maximize every drop. And you talk about how long your constituency is. It's also got very large in population in comparison to many others in the Commonwealth at at 2.8 million people across the constituency. What are the challenges of that? Because you mentioned that water agriculture and, and girls education are your priorities but obviously there's 
cities in your constituency there are a whole host of other issues that constituents might bring to you how do you even start thinking about representing 2.8 million people uh in the lok sabha see one you have to be the voice of the people and as long as you are voice of the people and you're raising pertinent questions you are representing their voices their concerns in various committees or to various executive uh, ministers now in this kind of scenario where you have such a large population the biggest challenge is to prioritize now how we prioritize is people know that there are three things which i really want to focus on uh, i have never said it's just economic development we've always said it's water health and of course women's education now these three things are which i go to every village every tehsil it's a smaller town or every even the tiniest villages 500 800 people by by my country standard of 500 villages are very tiny village so when we go there we talk about these issues and then of course the other big thing which we can manage to do as a parliamentarian is to hold what are called uh, large town hall meetings in the urban part of the world where i take in all these government officers so there are a lot of social schemes which work which unfortunately among the poorest of the poor they don't get benefits of because one they're not aware secondly uh india is not turning digital so all these schemes are digitalized they're not aware as to how to fill in their papers so i run a couple of uh, vans with uh, people on board with computers and we get special government permission so we are able to fill their forms teach them how to fill it right get them to sign it come back to the various government uh, departments in the government hand it over to them so uh, that's been working well too in the sense that i'm at least as a member of parliament i have the capacity now to reach out to a much larger audience than i did as an individual in the private sector and you, you mentioned there um some of the most classic ways of engaging with constituents town halls visiting villages going into hospitals have you noticed any change as that digital technology that you were talking about grows uh in the way that you interact with uh your constituents whether it's more emails coming in whether it's social media and that direct engagement or do you still find that it's it's more more classic oh no no it's it's become very digital now it's become completely digital i don't get as many emails as i was hoping to but we have in india what's called a whatsapp it's it's a global platform where people tend to message and i think every village in my constituency knows my whatsapp number so if they have an electricity issue they have any other land issues or any other issues they know that number works 24/7 we have a team of about four operators who help me with this plus of course uh some people have now got into twitter but facebook is the other social media which they leverage very well and when you're getting these large amounts hundreds of incoming whatsapp messages emails facebook whether that be from constituents of your own people in different parts of india what makes you kind of stop and read a message what makes something stand out if you're receiving that amount of incoming two things uh, i like to personally get very very involved with one like i said education is what my trusts do 
And I run a large trust where we've done over 60,000 scholarships. So when children are applying for higher education from my area into much finer colleges and universities of India, when they write in, we like to actually do a background check and find out as to how can we or the government help them, my individual trust or the government. So that's one thing which I get involved with. And secondly, I get a lot of times involved with people over 65, 70, where I find maybe the children are living with them. Maybe they're just completely independent. So they are the kind of weakest sections of society where you really need to look. And uh, the party I represent in parliament, we are based on one strong ideology, which is called a Hindi word for it is called Anantode. That means the last man standing. So the policy of the BJP has always been, and of Mr. Our Honorable Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, has been what's called saturation. So we look at the weakest link. Is he an overaged person? Is he economically deprived? Is he education deprived? Those are the people we like to work the most with. Because once you need to get India really up to global standards, these are the people we'll have to put. And uh, those get my attention most of the time. Then I'd like to pick up the phone and try and talk to them itself. Or if I'm going to their villages in the next couple of weeks, because I have nearly 2,000 villages in my constituency. So that's a lot. I can't really cover so many. So we try and make sure that they are brought to wherever there is a larger town hall happening. And that's where we are able to talk and interact with them. And now, just to add to your list of kind of to-dos alongside visiting those 2,000 villages in your constituency, you've um, moved into the international realm with your role um, as a member of the International Executive Committee of the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association, which is a CPA that we're uh, coming from today. Parliamentary diplomacy, was that something that you were interested in before politics or always wanted to engage in? Or was it something you more unexpectedly discovered? No, since uh, a part of my education did happen abroad, I was always, in the sense, uh, reading about various democracies and I was aware of other cultures. So I found it quite interesting. And I think I thought it would be a great learning experience for me to meet people from different parts of the world, understand what their issues are. And, you know, when you have such senior people who represent their own countries in the CPA, it becomes a very educative experience. And especially when you interact with them off record, you learn so much more. It's a learning process. Since I'm new to this, I try and get as much information as I can and hopefully see if some of it can be translated for the betterment of my constituents. Finally then, uh, coming towards the end, obviously the media retains a power to shape political narratives and politicians often have to be reactive to the stories that are prominent in the media. How do you make sure that you are responding to what the media talks about? Because often it's, it comes from the people versus ensuring that you're not just reacting and that you're you're making sure that you're not uh you're, you're being proactive in, in pushing the media towards stories that you want to, to be told yeah uh, okay now there are two issues one of course is national media national media in india can it has its own narrative so it's kind of difficult to control that narrative in the sense even if you try and put up 
And like as they say in media, bad news sells more than good news does. And I think that's true across the world. So that's bad press is what you're always going to have. And I think uh, in the last three years, one thing I've learned is not to react too much to bad press. Is to actually, if you become too reactive, then of course you get pushed into a corner, especially on social media. And a lot of press happens in the sense are not responsible, but are social media journalists. So, but uh, I have been truly blessed in the sense that uh, in my own constituency, my press, my senior media persons have been very supportive of what we do because they know I bring in a lot of transparency. So they're always free to come and interact with me, come and see the work we are doing. I do take them on tours sometimes with me. I interact as frequently as I can with them. So they're able to flag issues. And they know that the three issues which we flagged when we were working with and for in the past are something which uh, the entire region, not only my constituents, but the entire region needed. So I've been blessed in that sense that they're very cooperative as of now. And, and lastly, then to conclude, I just want to look at the kind of the time in once you're in politics that you have to um, move forward issues that might be personally important to you, but perhaps are not a focus for your constituency. For example, I know I've read that you're a sports fan, a hockey fan. Do you do you find time to a do that outside of politics and play sport or or follow your interests, or b move it forward in a professional capacity and and getting involved uh, professionally? Okay. <laughs> That's one thing I regret about getting into politics. My entire exercise schedule is just gone and I don't play any sports anymore. And it's so unfortunate. I wish I had the time and I do miss it a lot. But Jhansi uh, was once the home for Indian hockey. And uh, all of us play hockey. We've had the most famous Indian hockey player ever, possibly in the world. Major Dhyan Chand, he belonged to Jhansi, he lived and spent all his life. He led India to three Olympic uh, gold medals. So I do promote hockey as a sport whenever I can. We've held the senior India hockey matches in my constituency. I have a full stadium in my constituency in AstroTurf. We are training currently about 150 children. And through my trust, I'm sponsoring about 30 children a month to learn hockey. So that gives me a lot of personal satisfaction. At least when I go to the field once in a while and see these youngsters play, although I can't pick up a hockey stick anymore, but it's still so much pleasure just to see the youngsters. And hopefully, it used to be India's national sport. I mean, now it's all cricket, but hockey used to be the national sport. So hopefully, it'll revive. Brilliant. It's been great talking to you, Honorable Mr. Sharma. Um, I look forward to hopefully seeing you again at the um, next CPA event. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much for taking the time off today and uh, allowing me this podcast. That was Anurag Sharma, member of the Lok Sabha for the Jansi constituency in Uttar Pradesh talking to us about how he manages his focus, time and energy while serving more than 2.8 million constituents. Now to find the rest of our World Parliament Day mini-series and all our other podcast episodes, 
Make sure to subscribe to the Parliamentary Conversations in the Commonwealth podcast feed. That's available on all major podcasting platforms. And you can also find us on YouTube and on our website at www.cpahq.org where you'll be able to find out more about the work of the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association. Thanks for listening.